What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Strangecast Player One versus with Life is Strange Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Adnan. My co-host Adam is here. Adam, hello. I, I, I'm here. I'm very American, unfortunately, but here I am. Yes, here you are. <laughs> we are back. Um, I have a really bad cold at the minute, or COVID, I'm not too sure. So uh, bear with me whilst I'm talking, because it'll be, this is going to be rough. But either way, we can't, the show must continue. So without further ado, if you are here, please do leave a subscribe, like, share, turn on notifications, so you can stay up to date with our content. We're at 970 subscribers, I think, last time I checked. So 30 away from 1,000, so let's get to 1,000 if possible, um, if you haven't already uh, subscribed. And also, StrangeCast is available on all podcast services. So we're on Spotify with a video version. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on everything. So you can find us on all those services. So we're back. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about, actually. I didn't think we'd actually yeah. have this. Oh, man. Um, there's, a, so, there's a good amount, yeah. Yes. Um, and bear with me with the tissues and stuff if you're watching the video version. It's going to come, come and go. So... Interestingly enough, we're going to kick things off with um, a little update from the last episode because uh, Don't Know Montreal's Luke Bagados gave us some updates and little uh, trinkets of information, which was quite interesting. So I want to kick off the segment here before we do some news. So going to Twitter, Luke put in one tweet, really love your videos, listening to your analysis and investigations and how you to express your opinions. It would be... It would be great to get back to all your videos later down the line when our game is out and count how much how much times each of you were right or close to the truth. That's interesting. Yeah. That was the best. Nice. That was... That I um... I'll go for it. No, no, I um I was um, on my way to work. Um yeah. and walking and I read that tweet first and I was like Huh. I was like Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um I want to presume he he might have listened to the the hour theories for that game episode. I think that's mm-hmm. where because that's probably where we went full scale on most of the on most of our analysis. Seventy, if anything. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking he might be hinting at like how many times each of you were right or even close to the truth. So maybe that maybe that's kind of signifying that like. We got some things right. We got some things right. We're we're guessing on the right trail. I'm thinking my theory of two dogs and a cat are going to be the main character. Uh, the cat is going to be Luke's cats. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna like presume that maybe maybe even you know Michelle's cat. But that's that's exactly what I'm thinking. I, I'm thinking my theory on that is correct. Well, you, you never you never know what they're doing, but like I don't know, like when he wrote that, I was like, interesting. Does we, we've probably I can't even right. remember half the stuff I've said, and I do want to go back through and see what we said, but it mm-hmm. is interesting that he, he left that little little tip bit. So yeah. Nonetheless, um, next week, which is regarding this video, the person on the left is our dear Jean Luc Kano the writer behind the story of Life is Strange 1 and 2, who's been collaborating once again with Michelle to create the story and characters of our new game. So, yes, it is Jean-Luc. Um, some people pointed it out in our comment section for the last video. I, I didn't think it was Jean-Luc because I've seen pictures of Jean-Luc, um, and he did not look like that. Um, yeah, he does a look surprised. a little bit different in the picture, because, like, I'm looking yeah. at pictures... I'm, like, reminding myself of what Jean-Luc uh, looks like, and 
I, I don't know. I did not see that. But like, I'm not good at recognizing people at all. No, like, I'm terrible. My my wife, amazing. Like, we'll be watching a show. Like, hey, it's that person from this show, and then this show, this show. Oh, she did. I'm like, within a millisecond, and I am just like, I don't, I don't. What? I I can't recognize them. But no, I, I'm terrible at recognizing people. But yeah, I would. I think he looks kind of different in the picture, but you know, I'm going to believe Luke that it was Jean, you know? So, yeah, I'm not going to put him, but also he's put, he, um, he usually works remotely from France, but we had the luck. We had the luck to have him visiting the team in the Montreal studio a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was Jean-Luc. And I, like other, like all the other people that like, we've, I think some of the other comments in the video for the last episode said like, it'd be nice to have a discussion about like, you know, some like Christian divine, like other people who like what's actually happened to them. I think it'd be a topic mm. we'll probably cover in the future video, but it's like they, they they've got freelancers, they've got people who are working that aren't part of the don't know Montreal like you know main um, crew. So John Luke working there uh, does make sense, and it's interesting that the three amigos are back together. Obviously, we don't know what happened to Raúl Barbe. Um, uh, yeah, I've got my own, I've got my own theories about. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope we find out soon what he's doing. But yeah, I think he's working on the, one of the one of the games that they're they're making in house. Oh um, yeah, for sure. I don't know, so that that would make more sense. What? <laughs> yeah, you put uh, two. Not sure how Don't Nod Michelle is a fan of John John Lennon, uh, but John yeah. Luke is definitely the biggest Beatles fan I've ever met. Ha ha. So we got. <laughs> Yeah, that. I guess so, my, anyway. my theory about his spectacles was wrong about uh, his glasses. But, yeah, oh, well. It went some, you lose yeah. some, I guess. There's plenty of people was... who wear those glasses, but including Michelle himself. Indeed. So, free. <laughs> the skull is, in fact, from Don't Nod Don't Not Michelle's own basement. It's not even the scariest piece of decoration he has. He owns a really scary puppet. Mm-hmm. Now, that... Is interesting. So I thought that was Luke's skull all over. Mm-hmm. I was convinced on that. Um, so, and that, on top of that as well, for ratatouille is one of the best things ever. Love to eat it with rice. And my grandma's one of uh, one was the best. However, I wouldn't dare talk about paella without the expert Alejandro, who worked at Square Enix for a while. Also worked on Life is Strange One, Two, BTS, and True Colors. So. Mm-hmm. Not tagging that. So, just a little couple of updates there. Um, I just want to kick things off with that because, like, as I said, can I just flex a little just, bit that Alejandro actually thought my paella was like good looking, and I'm like, oh snap, heck yeah, that, yeah. that's a big honor. So, yeah, and he also and and Luke liked my ratatouille a little bit. Yeah, you got you got a huge endorsement there, so yeah. that's a win win. And I want to just kick off things with that because, as I said, like this, um, it was interesting just to get. Uh, Luke's little update on the last episode, also just his uh, his first tweet is still stuck with me about what we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like <laughs> trying to figure out. Yeah, and I am very very intrigued to hear what we actually got right and what we didn't get right. So down the line, I'm sure we'll we'll explore that. So oh, for sure, we'll kick things off into our new segment. So I won't try and bore you too much with this. Um, I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's interesting because it's kind of something I mentioned in the last episode. So, simply Wall Street last month, and also updated this month, posted Don't Know Entertainment's uh, shareholders. Um, it's like, you know, what's happening with the company. 
the Don't Ride Entertainment share, shareholders are up 11% this past week, but still in the red over the last three years. Mm-hmm. So they put, this week we saw the Don't Nod Entertainment share price climb by 11%, but that cannot eclipse the less than impressive returns over the last three years. Truth be told, the share price declined 30% in the last three years, and that return, dear reader, falls short of what you what you could have got from passive investing with an index fund. While the stock has risen 11% in the last week, but long-term shareholders are still in the red, let's see what the fundamentals can tell us. Yeah. Uh, so given that Donut Entertainment didn't make a profit in the last 12 months, we focus on revenue growth to form a quick view of its business development. Shareholders of unprofitable companies usually expect strong revenue growth. Some companies are willing to postpone profitability to grow revenue faster, but in that one case does not expect good top line growth. <laughs> In the last three years, Donut Entertainment saw its revenue grow by 18% per year compound. That's a pretty good rate of top-line growth. Shareholders have seen the share price fall at 9% per year for three years. So the market has definitely lost some love for the stock. However, that's in the past now. And it's the future, and it's the future is more important. And the future looks brighter based on revenue anyway. So I got a little infograph there. Why well, I wanted to bring that up as well, because there's um market screen as well did an article, which was Don't Know Entertainment's 2022 half-year results. They put Don't Know, an inter- independent studio that creates, develops, and publishes video games, today presents its first half 2022 results as approved by the board of directors on the 6th of October. The statutory auditors have completed their limited review of the first half financial statements, and their report will be issued in the next few days. Mm-hmm. The half-year financial report will be available during October. Upon publication of the twenty of the first half 2022 results, Oscar Gilbert, chairman and CEO of Don't Nod, said, and I quote, our teams are fully committed to the ramp-up of production and we now possess a rich pipeline that will be strong driver of value creation for the next three years. After two years of after two years focusing on capital expenditure, international rollout, and the ramp up of marketing and publishing departments in 2023, the group will focus, oh, sorry, will cross a further milestone in its development and start stepping up the pace of releases. So, mm. ramp up production line, don't know, posted first half 2022 operating revenues of 14.9 million euros, up 16% from 12.8 million in the first half of 2021. This performance was driven by publisher fees up 34% driven by game development in co-production with Focus Entertainment. Royalties down 82% to 0.5 million euros due to the absence of new releases since the end of 2022 in line with the group's strategy. A 46% increase in capitalized production to 11.4% uh, sorry, 11.4 million euros, which shows the ramp up in developments for the eight self-published or co-produced games. So, as I said, I'm not going to try to bore you. Let me just get a couple more things in here. So, as expected, the 2022 first half financial statements confirmed the ramp up of ongoing develop- game development and the absence of new releases over that period. Uh, staff costs came to 12.1 million euros in H1 2022, up 31% from 9.2 million euros last year due to the recruitment drive in order to develop the six in house production pipelines. 
Other expenses rose 74% to 4.3 million euros, reflecting the ramp up of production chains and outsourcing costs linked to development. So there's a couple more things, but I don't want to bore you. And if you've managed to stay here, thank you. Like whilst we've thrown that. Um, so I wanted to bring that up because that was something that I mentioned in the last episode, if you uh, remember where I talked about that their fiscal earnings this year won't be as strong because they haven't released anything themselves um, in-house, if anything. Mm -hmm. And I think like this is this is reflective of, like I always say to people, if you want to read something, I'd re always go and read uh, games industry articles, um, gamesindustry.biz. They're really interesting to read. Um, and they've talked about... Um, they talked about like the gaming industry needs to hold its nerve now because obviously we're heading towards an economic recession. Um, I don't know if the U S is currently in one yet. You have a different definition of what a recession is. Um, yeah. whilst I'm in the UK and we're heading towards one, but you know, it's going to, it's going to hit the, the games industry quite hard and it's going to hit like obviously every, every other industry quite hard. But this is just like, this was something that I wanted to bring up because obviously, like, as I said, like last episode, I said to you, like they've, uh, published games this year from other developers and they were planning to publish other games as well from other developers in the future but the revenue has not really been there like it's been very lackluster if anything um, we're in 2022 did they release anything in 2021? Uh, I'm not sure to be honest I don't you. think they did I don't think they no. did was 2021 uh, 2020 was um, Twin Mirror I think that was their last major release oh when no yeah no, I don't, I don't think, think they released they anything did. last year. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think they released anything yeah, last Twin year. Yeah, so like, came out in 2020, yeah. Yeah, and obviously if that, that's the case, then Tell Me Why came out before it. So that would be in 2020 yeah. as well. Uh, I know Tell Me Why. What the heck? Uh, I know Tell Me Why came out in 2019. Um, no, 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 no. It came out in... Tw no, I don't know. No, I don't know. Because I know it came out when I left Long Island. And that was, I left Long Island in November 2019. But I remember, so I guess, tell me why it came out in um, uh, 2020 as well. So Twin Mirror came out, uh, it came out in 2020. So yeah. Twin Mirror came out in 2020. And tell me why came out uh, 2020 as well. So really, they came out the same year? Yeah. Interesting. Because I remember, I remember like it came out during the pandemic, but I can't remember when Twin Mirror came out specifically in 2020. Because I remember it got delayed um, a couple of times. I want to say uh, it was released on December 1st, 2020. So it came out after. Tell me why. And then so December 1st, 2020. So just before 2021. Huh. Yeah, I don't remember coming out that late. But again, the whole the whole year of 2020, I I can't recall anything honestly. Yeah. But 2021, they didn't release anything. I don't believe. Yeah, like that's that's the thing for me because like it's just that like, it's been two years since they've released an in-house game. Um, yeah. And like they have they have shareholders like they have uh, now Tencent, which owns a 22 percent stake in Don't Nod. So it's like they have to piece appease um shareholders like they've got such a big injection of cash that's come in like they need to start rolling out games going forward and i think it's one of our topics which we'll talk about the, uh after this but like they they yeah. they didn't make 
good substantial cash flow. And that is not necessarily a bad thing because as I said, like the recruitment drive has been big for this to kind of get forward with all these, like in the future, like, you know, they'll make money back. Um, they'll make money, they'll start generating and they'll do things like that. But also you see as well, like the royalties, for example, came down the game that they made with Focus, for example, which is obviously Vampire, not making them yes. that much money now. It's more, obviously more time passes by royalties start coming down in value, don't they? Um, but I think like, I think it's just interesting, like the, 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 the actual kind of fundamentals, like, as I said, I don't want to really bore you because like, this is something that I've kind of gotten into anyway for investments and stuff. But like, I just find it quite interesting. This is a, this is a clear cut picture for don't not for, for anyone like listening and watching, like they have to, they haven't really done like, they haven't released games in the last two years to kind of plug the financial gaps that they have. And obviously in the future that will start, they'll be generating income of cash that will come in for the other games that they release but there's probably like big expectations on some of the games i've said it before like you know but we'll come on to that in another episode and also as well i'm just looking as well here um outlook and development in the second half of 2022 don't know will continue to develop its rich pipeline of eight original creations including five self-published games and one co-production with focus entertainment and two of external studios talima and tiny bull to be published by don't nod all of these games are scheduled for release between 2023 and 2025 that's our next topic but we'll come on to that <laughs> mm -hmm. shortly um the point here meanwhile don't know will pursue its development strategy aimed at quote so start with developing co-production in segments with strong sales potentials strengthening partnerships through co-financing and minimum guarantee arrangements in order to secure royalties increasing accessibility by diversifying gameplay mechanics of projects under development so it, it gives you a clear cut image and stuff because obviously the focus game that they're making as well that'll be a big one for royalties the games that they've got in-house as well they're going to be big for sales they're going to have to really do it and it's, it's it's a it's a big it's a big leap forward for don't know as well um i'm looking here as well they're currently giving the consensus of the stock is a buy value yes it's about 11 11 11 11 50 euros it trades at the minute the nice. average price target is 21 euros it's interesting they give it a buy rating yeah oh man uh, um I, I find yeah but like as i said i find it i think like, like i i've always said that i think don't know will get bought out by someone it wouldn't surprise mm. me like they yeah. just they just seem to be a lucrative kind of acquisition I'm, I'm definitely sure that someone's probably eyeing them up at some point and obviously as i said like tencent has a 22 percent stake in it yeah as much as i hate tencent but like you know it doesn't surprise me like they have like the, the, they're a publicly listed company same as activision so you can't get bought out from it um but they have revenue coming in. Um, mm -hmm. They have revenue coming in f forward. Um, mm -hmm. You got anything else to add? Um, no, because I am not good with stocks or understanding financials or anything like that. Yeah. I, can, I, I can tell you about uh, Vanguard. I can tell you about um, 401ks, but that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to like, I don't think you don't need to necessarily know it. Like, I've only got into it recently. I'm not really good with it, but I just wanted to kind of bring this up topic up because like I said in the last episode, the fundamentals of Don't Nod look good going forward, but for the short mm -hmm. term, they're not necessarily the best because they're not releasing games yet from their in-house catalogs and they're not generating a huge amount of cash flow and they're obviously tanking a lot of cash because they're recruiting. So they're making a big push forward. So... Mm -hmm. It'll just be interesting to see what it says. But as I said, like, uh, this is the first half of 2022. So the second half of 2022 is going to be pretty much the same picture, if I, if anything. Maybe, was it Gerda will come in and start the financing for that fiscal report? So you'll get a bit more information on that. But 
Okay. Okay. So we're moving into the next topic, which is going to be, and it obviously lags on from the last one. We now have more future, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Now a more cohesive plan of what's going forward. Um, yes. And a future kind of window, which is now we're going to dual shockers. And obviously based on those fiscal earnings reports, it's Don't Nod will release eight games between 2023 and 2025, including self- five self-published titles. Mm-hmm. So title, the article says, Don't Nod Entertainment officially revealed that it has eight unique creations in development aimed yeah. to be launched between 2023 and 2025. The developer and publisher behind Life is Strange didn't reveal any details about the projects yet, but we gained some information on the publishing status of its upcoming of the upcoming titles as spotted by Nibble. Don't know entertainment shared a new document recently to report the company's financial performance in the first half of this year. While the report mostly includes financial data revealing the company's revenue in the first six months of 2022 and comparing, comparing it to the same period in 2021. It also gives, it also gives off a small amount of information on what we can expect from the studio in the future. According to the half-year report don't not entertainment currently has eight projects in the pipeline five of which will be self-published by this independent studio there is also one project which is in production with the partnership of focus entertainment mm-hmm. are they still focus entertainment or focus interactive now i think it's focus entertainment still uh focus entertainment um yeah it's still focus entertainment on my end right also, the company is outsourcing two projects to Telema and Tiny Ball Studios, but the games will be published by Don't Not itself. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have no clue what these projects could be, but we can surely expect more games to come in the same genre as Life is Strange and Twin Mirror, as Don't Not has proven itself in narrative-driven games already. Looking mm-hmm. at financial data provided by Don't Nod, the company's net income in the first half of 2022 has significantly increased compared to the same period in the last year, which is already a good sign of improvement for the company's growth in the global market. Don't Not Entertainment also mentions that the team is looking for further opportunities in co-developing, co-financing new projects, which could mean we expect more games to be added to the pipeline in the future if the higher-ups in the company see fit in any new projects. I hope everyone enjoyed my headphone just falling out then. (laughs) Um, Twin Mirror is the last game from Don't Nod Entertainment that was launched back in 2020. The game, the company has not officially announced any of its upcoming projects so far. So yeah, DualShockers are kind of giving some information here. Obviously, we know a bit more than what they're letting on anyway. We obviously know it's a game in Montreal. It's being made by, by yes, by Luke and Michelle from that division. There's obviously the the main bulk of... Because it... Like... As I said, like the the company's like made increases there, as as I said, like income in the first half twenty two has significantly increased compared to the same period last year. Big investment, for example, we know that Tencent took a big stake in the company, big huge injection of money that came in from that. But it's not it's not generating revenue on the same level mm-hmm. of like making games, selling them. There's been a big period of like no games that have come from Don't Nod so far. Mm-hmm. But we now have like a release window here, and obviously we talked about Oscar Gilbert's interview. <laughs> was it last episode or the episode before that? I can't remember which uh, one it was, but yeah, I think it, I think it was last episode. But yeah, these weeks are like kind of um, melding into each other. <laughs> yeah, well, it was that interview with Oscar Gilbert, a selfie for Leap, where they talked about like you know these games would be self-published by Don't Nod. Um, 
Like, this kind of, again, reaffirmed what I said in the last episode where I think that Don't Know Montreal's game's coming out next year. I think that's the mm-hmm. first one that comes off the off the production line, if anything. You think so? Uh, yeah. yeah. Man, that'd be wild. That'd be cool. I would want that. How long? How sure. long? Life is Strange 2 was released 2018. They've been in, they've been in Canada for a while. Then. Yeah. So, well, like, they, moved, well, they moved to Canada. And it's like they've obviously been building and stuff. And I, I don't expect this game to be in the same scale of like a, a God of War or anything like that. You know, I think it's going to be, it's, it's a much more cohesive game, I imagine. The same vein as like Life is <laughs> Strange 1 and 2. Um, I, I just I just have a funny feeling that's going to be the first game that gets wheeled off. I, I'm i going to argue differently. I, I think the game is going to come out probably near holiday 2023, and we're going to get at least two games before uh, the Montreal game. I think oh, one damn. of them, it, we're going to get a reveal trailer. I think here's the thing. I If my prediction's right, you know, I'm going to say that the Focus Interactive or Focus Entertainment, uh, the Focus Entertainment game will have a trailer, like a reveal trailer, before we even get any information on the Montreal game. Yeah. That, that's my prediction. Yeah, I, I could see but, that. It's, 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 either, it's either that or the Montreal game that I see coming first, because they're the yeah. revenue generators. I'm still I'm still under the belief that the Focus Interactive or Focus <laughs> Entertainment game is going to be within the Vampire universe. I don't think it's going to be a Vampire sequel, but I think there's going to be like a universe built upon the Vampire series. It's it's got to be. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something yeah. related to Vampire just because of like the success of it. And if yes. you're working again with Focus, it just seems yeah, it just seems to make more sense. I do need to play Vampire, but um, oh, I, I'd expect that to yeah, I'd expect that to be. Um, the uh can't what I was gonna say now. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold, it's cold, it's cold isn't even a number on me. No, but um Vampire X a vampire sequel or spiritual success or whatever it is in that universe. I expect that to be a game that comes out first out of the line, if anything, and the same with the Montreal game. I just think that they're the two games that seem to be positioned a lot better. Like that game that game has been in production for quite a while now. They don't know how to entertainment on in Montreal. Um which, um, if I'm seeing this right, Vampire is included on your PlayStation Plus Extra. So if you have PlayStation Plus Extra, you can have Vampire. Or it's on sale right now on the PlayStation Store, Vampire, for $10. I own it. Oh, you own it. Well. Yeah, it was released as a PS Plus download um, a while back. Yes, it's exactly. It's on my hard drive at the minute. Um, Dang. Well, but, I mean, yeah, if like, you're listening to this and you haven't, uh, it's included on your PlayStation Plus Extra Edition. So it's not on Game Pass, though. I, I looked. It was on Game Pass for a little while, but uh, then, it, then it's not it's not there anymore, which is unfortunate. But it is what it is. You Philly boy. Good old Philly boy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't have anything else, Todd, unless you do. No, I'm very excited. I'm I'm excited to see... Uh, what comes out first? Uh, I'm excited to see eight games come out of here because I'm looking on Don't Nod's game section on the website, and really, it's it's less games than I thought of. I don't know, like I, I never thought that they had like a plethora of games, but yeah, like they only have one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games uh, released since like there's Remember Me, the Life of Strange series, Vampire, Twin Mirror, Gerda. I'm just like, yeah, um, I'm excited to see what they have in store for us. And I'm excited to see what the 
uh, focus game is. So here, here, yes. here's here's seeing the future, I guess. Definitely. Very excited to see what Donut does going forward. Yes. So we'll move into our next topic. So we are moving into the Life is Strange coloring book, which is now mm. available. So this won't be a big segment anyway, but we'll talk about it quickly. You know, this is... This is the coloring book that was announced by Square and Titan a while back. Um, features the stunning artwork by Claudia Leonardi, which is, as I said, unbelievable. I always say to people with the comic book series, her artwork is gorgeous. But you can now pick it up in the US and Europe. Uh, I have not picked it up myself yet. I think I will pick it up soon, just so I can mm. have a hold of it. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to be coloring in. But yes, if you want to color Max's hair differently, now you can. Yeah, that's true. Um... Let's see. It's gonna be like how much is it? It's yeah. It's uh. It's thirteen fifty dollars or thirteen dollars fifty cents. Um, and in the UK, it's only um. Let's see. Okay, fine. It's going to be. Oh, it's on sale if you're in the UK. It, there's a UK link, and it's um, uh, eight pounds and ninety seven ninety nine pence. I, hey. Did I do it right? Did I do the did, did I do the money right? Eight yes. pounds, ninety nine pence, with two pounds shipping. So that there's that. But yeah, no, I, I think it's a nice little thing to have. Um, I'm looking at the pages right now. So if you're on the Amazon link, you can see like little sample pages of what you can do. And it's like a little nice little Max with butterflies and a uh, nice canyon piece. So. Oh, it's got Max in a little um, greenhouse area, like a like a botanical section. So, uh, color in some plants. Maybe do some colors on the plants. Maybe do some red angolias. So, anglomenas. I'm stupid, but yeah, no, pretty cool, <laughs> pretty cool. I'm yeah, gonna say. I just wanted to give that a shout out quickly. That is available now if you want to pick it up. Nice little gift for Life is Strange fan, or if you just want to own one yourself, you can yeah. now pick it up. Mm -hmm. uh, we can kick forward into our next topic. Um, yes. So we're going to games industry news. They thought publisher don't nod partnering with War Child Charity and Gerda a flaming winter campaign. They thought mm -hmm. don't nod independent video games publisher and developer is proud to announce its partnership with War Child. Mm -hmm. UK-based charity works tirelessly in helping children who are suffering in war zones and conflict areas worldwide. The Gerda Flame and Winter War Child Charity Digital Edition will be available on 12th of October on Steam for PC to commemorate Day of the Girl, a campaign f focused on bringing awareness to the issues that girls and young women in war zones face around the world to advocate strongly for their human rights and to raise crucial funding to support them. Mm -hmm. The new edition of the game contains the full game the original soundtrack composed by Jacob Stroving Hansen mm -hmm. and six exclusive digital paintings of game environment. Don't know is donating 20% of the proceeds of the Gerda A Flaming Winter War Child charity digital edition directly to War Child. Yes. Thomas Talman Martinez, gaming partnership manager at War Child UK, shares, and I quote, we are really excited to be able to partner with Don't Nod and Gerda for the Day of the Girl. Gerda's journey is one shared by many girls living in conflict zones, and alongside Don't Nod, we look forward to not only telling the telling her story based on a real girl living during World War II, but also to raise vital funds 
to help protect, educate and stand up for children living through war today. Our hopes for the partnership is that through the medium of gaming, we can highlight and address the need and challenges millions of girls face and amplify their voices. This international day of the girl, end quote. Yes. Sorry, I just like lost my finger. <laughs> You're good. So this partnership is important and a natural step for Dotnod and the developer Porter Play. Gerda Flaming Winter was created to shine a light on one young woman's experience in occupied Denmark in World War II. Mm. Gerda Lansen's story is inspired by a real person, the grandmother of Porter Play's CEO and creative director, Hans von Nuskovog. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I butchered that. <laughs> sorry, Hans. You're good. Um, the Gerda, a flaming winter war charity child, <laughs> war child charity <laughs> digital edition. Sorry, it's like a mouthful. That is part of our contribution to war child's work in helping civilian children and young people in conflict areas. Since its release, Gerda, a flaming winter has garnered critical acclaim for the media outlets and individuals alike. So nice little bit of news. I wanted to share that I haven't played Gerda yet. Um, mm -hmm. I wish it was released on console. I don't use PC or steam um i'm thinking about getting a steam deck though at some point so if i yes. do i can actually play uh good then well um yeah it's, it's quite nice that i that don't know doing that mm -hmm. yeah and i'm and i'm looking on it right now i'm looking on a steam page for the war child edition um as you said before it does come with the full game the original soundtrack and six ex uh, exclusive paintings um, and you can check this all out on the Steam page. Twenty percent of the proceeds will go to War Child. That that's a that's a good amount. Twenty percent of the proceeds. Um yeah. I would say how, that's how pretty, much was it? Um, okay, so it doesn't really say what the War Child edition is going to cost yet, but the um oh here we go here we go here we go uh it's going to be twenty four dollars and ninety seven cents. For the War Child edition, so twenty four dollars, yeah, uh, twenty five dollars. Just buy this bundle for zero percent, save zero percent. <laughs> okay, but yeah. Uh, whereas the so the original game, the full game is going to be twenty dollars, but then the War Child edition is going to be twenty five dollars. So five dollars more, and you get the soundtrack, uh, six digital artworks, and you support uh, War Child. You support a charity through it, so you get a great game with some great artwork and great music uh, who I researched and uh, the composer for this only did two games, this one and um, another one. I can't remember the other game, but he's only done a couple games, but he's definitely well known in the industry. So uh, great music by, by Jacob, probably Jakob. It's probably Jakob. Jakob, yeah. Be Jakob. Yeah, Jakob Hansen. My terrible pronunciation that of Jacob. Be Jakob. <laughs> um, so, yeah, pretty good. I would say well support, good charity, great music, great game. 25 bucks on Steam. I, I looked to see if it was going to be on the Switch edition as well. Uh, yeah. It does not look like it's uh, this War Child edition is going to be on the Switch edition, only Steam. Um, yeah. And that's okay. I'm pretty sure they can only do this on Steam. Because uh, to put your game on Nintendo Switch, there is, um, there there are some little financial wing arounds. Like you have to pay Nintendo to get on the store. Whereas Steam, you just kind of like put it on there and it's on there. So yeah, 
I'd imagine they can't really do the 20% proceed on the Switch, but they can yeah. do it on Steam, which is why you can only find it on the Steam edition, which makes sense. So um, so if you play on Steam, <coughs> give it a try. Yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, as I said, like $25 on Steam for that edition, and then also 20% going to the charity. It pretty much covers Don't Nods. Finances for the yes. game and also gives a portion mm-hmm. of it to charity. Um, is it on Switch? Uh, Gerda is on Switch, yes. So it's on Switch and yet. Steam. What's that? You're not going to pick it up? I was, but like everything's been so busy. And plus, I was playing the um, the Life is Switch. Uh, Life is Switch. Life is Switch. <laughs> I was playing the Life is Strange um, edition, and um, um, I'm playing a lot of Session. I'm playing a, so much Session right now, like a ridiculous amount, um, a shameful amount of Session. So um, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> But, you know, life is session, you know, it is what it is. Get Max Coffin. Oh, what if there's a, oh, can we, can we, can we as a community on the Steam edition of session, can we put in a mod with Chloe Price being on a skateboard? Hmm? Uh, modding community. Can we put Chloe Price in session? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know any mods, but uh, let me know if you do it. Tweet at me. I'm sure it exists. Yeah, I'm sure it exists. Um, mm. Yeah, as I said, great news anyway. So we'll go into our next topic. Yes? Yes. So we wrap up our news segment with a final piece from the Don't Know Twitter page, which was on this day seven years ago, we were all getting ready to wrap up Max and Chloe's journey in Arcadia Bay, and we'll never forget it. Yep. Yeah. So obviously... We're recording this on the 22nd of October on the Saturday, but we have our anniversary seven years since episode five Polarized was released. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Seven years ago, I was, I mean, we talked about this with the dark room being seven years ago, but I was, um, I don't even know how old I am, dude. <laughs> like, uh, what was I 24? Yeah. I was 24 years old. Man, that's wild to think about. That was seven years ago. That, yeah, it came out before I was married. That, that's a wild thing. But, uh, yeah, no, it really sparked something in me where I was just like, man, a, a game just wrapped up so nicely with with this kind of ending. And I don't know. It, it, it's really nice to commemorate that, like, a game that came out seven years ago still stands on its own today. And I would argue, even without the remaster edition, which I played, you know, it stands on its own without being remastered. So uh, good for it for seven years of being a great, fantastic ending. Yeah, this was this was crazy, man. I was 22 years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was 22 years old. I had actually, this was another one of the episodes I got a review code for. So I was reviewing this. Um, yes. So I was playing it before everyone else. I remember that. I felt like excited. I always felt excited to playing these games before everyone else was doing it because like everyone was talking to the Reddit friends. I was like, oh, they're already playing it beforehand just to kind of get my mm-hmm. review written for it. Um, this came yeah. out after I interviewed Hannah as well. I mean, Hannah kind of like it, I spoke to her beforehand. That was before <laughs> Square Enix had any control over PR and stuff like that. Like I just basically reached out to Hannah and she just agreed to an interview before. And she could have said anything as well, which is even more shocking. But uh yeah, it, it was it was a crazy time this episode. Like I think this is this episode's kind of like divisive for me. Like this was the one that really didn't hit its release window properly. Like mm-hmm. it was a bit delayed because it came it just it it was like 
it was an interesting episode. Let me just say that. Like I was, the endings are quite different. Like I think the the better ending by far is is sacrificing Chloe. Even though I don't like that ending, I think that one yes. that one hits a lot more home. If anything, because obviously I did the one where you and Chloe leave Arcadia Bay, which is no nope. for me the right wrong ending, answer. But this is the right. I answer. just say <laughs> every time I'm just like, sorry, sorry, girl, I gotta say Pompadour. So is what it is, girl. Sorry, you gotta go. And she's like crying on the like, please, Max, you gotta kill me. You gotta end. I'm like, yeah, I was already gonna kill you, even if he told me not to kill you. I'm gonna kill you right now. Pompadour for life. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was. It was. It was really uh, a nice conclusion to it. I think it was. I think it's probably one of the weaker episodes. I think for me. Um, See, <clears throat> that's the thing. I, I think it's a weaker episode in it, but it, it, it just what its purpose was was to wrap up the story. Yeah, and I think I think it did its job. So in terms of like my favorite episode, it's not my favorite, but it wrapped up things really nicely. Yeah, it, it had a nice little knot uh, tied knot on top of it. Like as I said, like, I think the, the episode was a little bit shorter for my liking. I think it was like, yeah, like it just it, it could have been a little bit longer, and it it was still it was still quite a unique experience playing through it. I think like, um, like some of the scenes were great. Like obviously the ones where you go for like Max's nightmare scenarios and all of the shit that's happening. All that freaky stuff, like that, that as long as like actually like horror elements central, like we're coming through. Obviously, you have <laughs> you have Michelle in the episode as well at the art gallery. Yeah, um, and he confirmed it. He confirmed it's him. Yeah, he did confirm that. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it though to an, uh, to thinking about. I, I don't think it's my my favorite by far, but as you said in itself, it was a nice way to fi finish off Max and Chloe's story. Um, oh, sure, and I, and I and I and I don't really sit here feeling like empty, not having. I think they could have done a more of a sequel, but I think like for that to be the ending, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Oh yeah, and like I said, seven years still stands up on its own, man. Great episode. Yes, very much does. Very much does. Mm. Right. Yes. So we made it for the news segment. As I said, I apologize. I've been really ill, um, and I'm holding myself together as much as I possibly can. Yeah. So. <laughs> As promised in our last episode, last couple ones, we are now moving away a bit from True Colors mm -hmm. in between things. And obviously, we're now going to Life is Strange 2. So, a couple of yeah. weeks ago, I asked Adam to replay Life is Strange 2 for this couple episode, weeks ago. Obviously... It was like, yeah, it was like September. Yeah, it was like, it was like five weeks ago. Yeah, well, that, that wasn't my fault because, like, in itself, like, all the, <laughs> the things that kept happening, it was like anniversary after anniversary that was happening. Yes. And then we had Katie on for one of the episodes. So it was like, I couldn't really get that that thing in yeah. But I, I wanted you just to kind of refreshingly play it. So this topic, obviously, segment is that Adam has replayed Life is Strange 2. And it's full. The big question yep. is, has he become a believer? Because Adam was not a fan of Life is Strange 2. He was a hater. And we don't like haters. <laughs> we don't like it. Even though I'm the one that kills Chloe every time. Every playthrough, yes. I kill Chloe every time. <laughs> yeah. Shock, shocking behavior. But yes, Adam, I'll let you take this first. Have um, you become a believer? Uh, in believer in what way? Like, am <laughs> I saying it's a good game? Strange game? I think, I think my my opinion has changed on it that it's not the worst Life is Strange game, and I would say it's become one of my favorites. I've been. <laughs> you're just not here. <laughs> it's you just sure? like. It's, you sure? 
put a formal it's like, apology out now to Luke and Michelle, and I'll tweet this at them if you want. Nice yeah. formal apology if you want. I, here's the thing about me, dude. I don't apologize for anything ever. And Liz knows this. Like, I don't. Here's the thing about me not apologizing is because I say what I mean and I meant it at the time that I didn't really like it. You know, at the time, <clears throat> at the time, I set myself up for failure. And I think that's what the problem is for entire games is that you're setting yourself up for failure in this way to have expectations that it's going to be the like the last game or whatever you have right now currently in the state of gotham knights uh gotham knights right now is coming out and there's some really poor reviews of it because of the story and the story is not really hitting the mark on a uh batman family game and even jake baldino said that like it's gonna find its audience it's just that it disappointed him because he had so many expectations of what the story is going to be. And I think that's what I, I faced when I first played Life is Strange 2. I had a lot of expectations coming out of Life is Strange 1. And I really loved Before the Storm. I loved Before the Storm. And I still do. Uh, it's, one of, it's one of my favorite games ever. Um, so going from the Max and Chloe edition. And then going into this. And especially, especially... Because I related to Chris's story so much in Captain Spirit that I thought, like, oh, he's going to be the main character. Like, I related a lot to Chris. So setting myself up in Life is Strange 2 when I first played this game, it, you know, I, I had expectations that I felt feel like that I wasn't seeing the game for what it was. You see what I'm saying? So <laughs> now I'm seeing it in a whole different light of, like, okay – this is what it is. It's released. It's got some great remarks, great fans. Let's play this through. And now I'm comparing it now to True Colors. So when I'm comparing it to True Colors, it is a different studio. I understand that. But now I'm comparing it to the way Don't Nod makes a game. By Don't Nod, I mean Michelle and Luke. And then I'm comparing it to the way that uh, Deck Nine makes their games. And I think what Deck Nine hasn't figured out yet, and you know, all all like I love True Colors, I love Erica Mori, I love Before the Storm. You know, I, I I love everything about Deck Nine. I I like the games, but what they miss the mark on when it comes to Don't Nod and when it comes to Life is Strange Two, they don't hit really uncomfortable situations incredibly uncomfortable situations uh i think what deck nine does they they hit some like oh it's gonna hit home with you you know because like oh uh, chloe is is this um you know this this uh girl who doesn't have a real father is having a trouble adjusting to her stepfather doesn't have real friends you know like oh it hit homes for me i don't like people either and same thing with true colors <clears throat> true colors hits a mark of like it hits home with you uh, I can't control my emotions or other people around me. I feel their emotions. Blah, blah, blah. What Donut does is say, like, have you thought about the perspective that doesn't hit home? And I think that's what De uh, Donut is good at. I think that uh, Donut with Michelle and Luke, what they're good at is like, how about a different perspective? This might not hit home for you, but it's going to hit home for you. We're going to make it feel like it hits home with you, especially. The scene in Life is Strange 2 
with the um with the singing where a white trash man yeah. yeah asks you to sing a song in spanish that's something that you have to like face you know or even before in the very first scene right where uh Sean and Daniel and his dad are all accused of like seriously injuring this white kid and an officer is like get down on the ground so we're going to make sure that it hits home for you so is that is, do i hear something that phone oh, fuck's sake <laughs> but yeah so like that's what I see when I see about Life Strange 2 is that it, it gives you the uncomfortable moments. So I will say that in terms of making me a believer into the game, yeah, I would say <clears throat> I would say I appreciate it more now in this state of my life than I did back in 2018, 2019 when it first came out. You know what I mean? So this is weird. It's just me. Oh, Adam's back. Yay. But, um, but yeah, I would say I'm in a different perspective, but I'm in a different life format, but I'm not going to apologize that I didn't like it when I first played it because I meant what I said, you know what I mean? Well, that is interesting. I do think you should apologize because it was a, I never apologize. I never do it. (laughs) It was a shocking snub. No, um, I think like Life is Strange 2 was, um. It was a tough pill to swallow. It was a really tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. I think because of like you had the the Max and Chloe story arc, which really resonated with so many people. I just I was very openly embracing of Life is Strange too. By the time we got to it, mm-hmm. I was like ready to move on from Max and Chloe. Like I thought the first episode was a bit strange at first. Like you know, no pun intended. Like I just wasn't really. It was kind of like it hard to kind of just to Mac, uh, to Sean and Daniel. Um, and I've only ever played Life is Strange two once. I've never played it since I finished it. Um, I've kind of like what? what? Wait, yeah. you only played it once? That's it? Oh come on! Is I the play... last time I played it. Wait, twenty? Are you serious right now? Yeah, bro. I played it like this. This last one, I played it. This was my fourth or fifth playthrough of the game. I gave it yeah, my but... fair shot when it first came out, dude. I gave it my fair but... fair shot. My kind of like position with some games is that I only play them once because I have such yeah. a deep appreciation for them. I don't want to play them again. I'll never get the same experience from it. Mm-hmm. I got that with Life is Strange too. I was like so engrossed in it. I love the story. I thought it was great. And that's, and I think like on top of what you say with um, the difference between Don't Know and Deck Nine, the other thing I find with them too, the developers, is that Don't Know is very more effective with writing stories about having a journey with a character. Yes. It's, it's more so like Max and Chloe, like the journey of like what they were going through. And the journey of Sean's story to go to Port Lobos with um, Daniel. I think like the, 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 the arc is fundamentally on the journey of something. So like instead of like true colors, that's mm. just kind of like a story that's a bit you know. There's no journey with Alex essentially. Like she's just the main character, but there's like no kind of ultimate end goal for her. Like we're just kind of like going through the story in her eyes. And I think like that's where Life is Strange Two is really more unique. And <laughs> same with Life is Strange One. Mm-hmm. But I've only ever played them once. I don't really want to play them again because it's like I, I have such a fond appreciation for that one experience I had and how highly I hold it. I'm like, well, that was some games. I'm, I only play them once and then just leave them. Maybe one yeah. day in the future, I'll kind of revisit it, just kind of like refresh myself on it. But it was it was just, 
it was it was nicely done as a game like that's my my appreciation of life is strange too like that's what it was it was it was just like in itself obviously the <coughs> the episodic kind of release was was a bit more painful if anything yes. I think that was one thing that I was kind I of I think like, that's also know. what hurt my perspective on it before too cuz I had to wait so long for this game and I still <coughs> I'm still not a positive for this part episode 2 where the first time you uh play it and like from like the second that you're at um uh mushroom's funeral to when you ring the doorbell at your grandparents' house, you don't really touch the controller for seven and a half minutes. Like yeah. seven and a half to eight minutes. And it's just like you're kind of just sitting there while they're walking towards it. And it's just like seven and a half minutes. My screen on my on my TV was like on on the Xbox was like turning dim because like, oh, he's not really here. I'm like, I am here. I'm just watching something now. So for seven and a half, eight minutes, <clears throat> I think that hurt my perspective when I first played this. Because not only did I have to wait a long time, but then I put my controller down. I'm like, bro, I, I'm st I'm still on the on the um, perspective of like rules. What is my least favorite episode of any Life is Strange game? I'm still, still on that. <laughs> I, I know, but I'm still on that, dude. Like I played it, and I was like, okay. Going a fresh perspective. No, I still don't like rules. Don't like it. But like I said, now that Luke watches this episode, he's gonna like listen to my album. Like, you know what's the the worst one? Uh, on board. On board is the worst track on you. I I can't stand. It. I'm like, it's a fair point. I hate that track too. So, <laughs> <coughs> I think. But yeah, no. Yeah. No. Go. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. No, I'll let you go. Okay. But yeah, no, I'm, all I'll say is that like <clears throat> in in a in a collective of the game, um I don't think that I I despise rules. I just think I I think it's the weakest one in the whole Life is Strange 2. But as a collective Life is Strange 2, I think it what its mission was was to make you have the gray area perspective that you should have as a human being. Um, and I think that's what it was good at, and I think it succeeded in that point. So I would say my perspective has changed as a person. And and like I said, I think it. I just think that Life is Strange Two came out in a point in my life where I didn't have a lot of. I don't mean to be like like sob story here, but like I didn't really have a lot of happiness in my heart. You know what I mean? So like I was like looking in, in a perspective of just like it is what it is. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. It was. It was as I said. As I said before, it's like it was a really tough pill to swallow because, like, the episode structure was like, like the way they were releasing the episodes. It reminds me of like Tales from the Borderlands. It was like that era of like mm -hmm. episodic gaming kind of like disappearing at that point. But yes, the actual story was really nice. Like the five episodes that you had, I liked the fact that they kind of. I always said this is my kind of. Um, they were criticized Michelle, Luke, and uh, Raul, and the rest of them from. Some reviews with like in the heavy-handed kind of like political tones and stuff, um, and like my kind of like argument with it was that I was fine with it because they weren't beating around the brush. They were like, "We're going to talk about police brutality. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to make obvious references where we need to." Like they weren't just beating around the brush yeah. with it. So like, I was I was fine with that. So I had no issue with it. But I I really enjoyed the story of it. Like I really warmed to like all the characters. Like Esteban was a great character. I love that he was always kind of there, kind of giving Sean guidance through mm -hmm. things. I kind of like the fact that they took the power away from you as well and gave it to Daniel. I think like they could have done more of it with Daniel. I think like mm -hmm. sometimes it felt like the power mechanic wasn't as 
as huge and centric with it as it was in the first Life is Strange. But hey, hey ho, you have to kind of change things, don't you? But I just felt like the actual package of things. I feel like Life is Strange Two does get a bit of a bad rep. Like I like the marketing that they did for it. I like when they released Captain Spirit first. You had that as like kind of a precursor for Life is Strange Two. You play through it, it kind of like dupes you about what you, what you actually think Life is Strange Two is going to be. Um, and obviously, like when you go into episode two rules, you kind of like get the time where you get to spend it with Chris, and you kind of like carry over, you know, your save file from um, Captain Spirit, which is quite nice. I really like some of the characters. I really love Cassidy. I thought she was a great character, an absolute banger of a character. Um, some of the episodes, as well, episode three was great. Wastelands, I love that in the in the red uh, <laughs> um, in the is it the redwoods in California? I think yes. redwoods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that kind of like that that episode. I love the characters you met. They were kind of meaningful interactions. I felt like each character you interacted with there was always kind of like a, a deeper sense of sophistication in storytelling and building relationships. Like even when you obviously you get past that episode three, you lose cast, and it's like, hey, you get Karen, and Karen's a great character. Karen's a really yeah. great character, really well written. Some of the scenes that you have with her, her and Sean outside like that, um, Dave Madsen returning was a highlight from it. <laughs> which i i, I still even... have beef with with david madsen like how did that like conspire like i wish we had more backstory and maybe maybe it does have more backstory in the comics which i still have to read all of them but <clears throat> in what way did david madsen like you know because divo- in my playthrough right in my playthrough that the um, uh the storm passed you know of like of course you know chloe dies in my playthrough and you know he's like oh yeah when when uh chloe died i lost you know i lost trust with with joyce but now i'm in arizona and i'm being a hippie i'm like there's there's so many things in between that i need to know what happened for military man david madsen to i'm a hippie in the in the middle of arizona you know what i mean like or was it new mexico uh in new mexico wait. yeah maybe can't remember yeah he's called the border yeah, well, Arizona's on the border, border too. Yeah, I get your Mexico. Yeah, so it was New Mexico. Yeah, there's a lot of things that border Mexico. <laughs> and, but um, but yeah, so um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I needed more backstory of that, but it was just nice to see David Madsen. Like whether or not he was just kind of like thrown in there, like oh yeah, he's peace, love, and positivity now. Just like how did that happen? But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know pretty cool yeah well i i don't read into it too much obviously because they just kind of end with the the fact that arcadia bay is destroyed as well it's like that he's a drifter at that point he's kind of got out of the town i think it's just mm-hmm. a nice cameo i think it's the one cameo that could really have worked on what yeah. characters they bring back so i think like that's why they did it um but it's quite a, it's kind of nice like as i said like his character development is probably the best out of any character in the entire series dave madsen yeah um they really do him justice they really do him justice in life is strange too can I also make a point here that this this is sort of on topic, but also just like some gripes I have in this world. Um, <coughs> you mentioned before that like the that people weren't like weren't really adapting to the way Dontnod is heavy handed with his political ag- agenda. You know what I mean? Um, I can't stand that in this world. I can't stand that like you you try to make a perspective on another person's suffering and it's all of a sudden like, oh, it's it's political. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, here's the thing, everybody. Everything's political. Unless you're and that's the thing. It's only Republicans that say that, like, go oh, stop making anything so political. 
But Republicans are so, so adamant on making like their perspectives known to the world. But it's, but it's soon as like it's a different perspective, like, oh, stop making everything so political. Like, bro, everything, every little thing in this world is political. Money is political. Race is political in this in this country anyway. Unfortunately, being being on the race is political. What's that about? Um, everything has politics. So stop saying that like, oh, perspectives of another person suffering. That's that's too political. Shut the hell up, dude. Like, I I can't stand that. Don't not Luke, Michelle, everybody in Montreal. Keep doing what you're doing. Show perspective of this world. If it, if it's too political for everybody, screw them. You don't need those customers. So get off the high horse. And by the way, go Green Party. Bang, let's go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like the the, politi- the political argument is stupid, is daft because it's like what is yeah. it political? Like if, if wherever you're watching, and whoever you're watching it from, like you have to ask questions about why they're doing it. Like I think like one of the main ones that I don't know where Christopher Nolan is on like his political beliefs and like social views, but it was like that with, um, when I watched the dark Knight rises, you went baiting oh, yeah. into the stock market. And I was like, uh, that, that was like, for me, as I was like, hang on a minute. It's like, what are you actually saying here? Like you, that's why I, I, I like questions about like those kind of games or films or TVs, whatever I watch, but it's like, you're doing it. And then you have to ask a question about who the person making it, what their belief is, because then it kind of gives you, a clear yeah. view of something like that they, they they are going to put their personal beliefs their injection of views into something so like you're never yeah. going to be able to hide from that and i feel like that's the thing with life is strange life is strange too just went all the way through it like they didn't really hold back with it and it was yeah, like and, I, and i'm like, happy for them to do that like i was i was yeah, that's what well, well, that's the one thing i did that. like about this that's one thing i did like about this game uh even when it first came out i was just like good like like actually talk about in, instead of like talking about you know, Mexican citizens coming into this country and actually are born in this country. Like, talk about the perspective that, like, people still say that, like, get in your own country. I'm like, first of all, dude, first of all, this isn't white people's country. Like, we're European, and unfortunately, we're colonizers that came over and took over this land that was hers <coughs> in the first place. So maybe we should go back to our own country, um, even though I don't want to go back to Hungary. Please don't, please don't send me back to Hungary. It's awful there. But uh, Hungarian listeners, hi! It's great there. It's great in Hungary. It's not. It's not a tormented p- cornfield. Yay! Go Hungary! But that's the thing. It's like colonizers came to this country and send it back. So no, like Michelle, Luke, keep doing what you're doing. I don't know. Screw that. Screw that noise. Anyways, that was my high horse here. So get you can get back on yours now. <laughs> No, no, it, it, uh, like, as I said, like, this is the thing with Life is Strange True. It, it, it's very divisive, like, because it goes down these routes, and I think people don't necessarily like it for whatever reason it is. <coughs> I'm fine with the way that they did things. Like, for me, they handled yeah. it really well. I think all the way through, like, um, the performances They'll... were great. Gun- Gonzalo Martin was just unbelievable. Like, No, I love I the message be- of it, but the gameplay is, I think, what, what took me out when I first played this. But the perspectives, the, the actual message behind it, I was like, Let's go, dude. Hell yeah. Yeah, like I I was I was willing to sacrifice gameplay at that point because I feel like it, it was it was a little bit weaker in gameplay compared to the first Life is Strange. I'll give it that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really need that at that point. Like the entire point was always constantly on on Sean, like the adversity he goes through, like the entire story of it. 
that's more potent than actually the gameplay of it. It's like it's constantly about his journey. Like as I said, the journey mechanic for me is like one of my favorite parts of the game. If I'm playing with some, if I'm playing a game which has the the journey as the concept, the journey in the sense that you're doing something to achieve something at the end of it, then there's there's purpose with it, and that's what interests mm. me more, especially with like Sean. The journey is to get to Port Lobos with Daniel, but then also you have the kind of like the adversities, the small time kind of like. Um, you know, becoming a big brother, like teaching moral values, kind of facing adversities in the sense of racist people, then having like, you know, you're a teenage boy and you also have like a love interest that comes, you have different love interests in Cassidy or Finn that you can have. <coughs> you meet racists. Um, all these things like kind of f- nicely fold into a package for me. Like when I got to five episodes through it, it was like, it was really enjoyable all the way through. Like kind of like the, the difference between police, like, you know, the first episode you feel like Sean's dad gets shot by the police is completely different yeah. than, but then when you get to the later in the game when sean's getting interrogated by a police officer you see a different kind of complex to the police where they like you know son come on you know you need to you need to tell us what you've done here like etc they're kind of like showing a bit more of a moral side to it completely contrasting like what you see in the first episode of police brutality but it's like there's 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 a lot to it and i just enjoyed it all the way through like as i said like the performances were great as well like gonzalo martin was just unbelievable he was mm-hmm. so unbelievable for that performance Yes. Um, I would say it to people as well because I've got it up here. He won a BAFTA in this category. Performer in a leading role, Gonzalo Martin wins as Sean Diaz in Life is Strange 2. He was up against Laura Bailey as Kate Diaz in Gears 5, Courtney Hope as Jess Faden in Control, Logan Marshall Green as David in Telling Lies, Barry Salone as Captain Price in Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and Norman Dang. Reedus as Sam in Death Stranding. Dang. That was a category. Yeah, I, I, I was like, when we're following up to the Baptist, I thought he didn't win it because there's some big hairs in that. He didn't, he did win it. But like, and in, in the performance sporting role as well, I felt like Life is Strange 2 got snubbed there as well. It was Marty Su- Suzalo who won it as um, AT, the janitor in control. But in that category as well, for performance sporting role, you had Jolene Anderson as Karen Reynolds in Life is Strange 2, Troy Baker as Higgs in Death Stranding, Sarah Bartholomew hmm. as Cassidy in Life is Strange 2. Aisha Issa as Fliss in the Dark Picture Anthology, Man of Medan, and Leia Sidhu as Fragile in Death Stranding. Man of Medan, by the way. What's up? Man of Medan. What did I say? Medan. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm really ill here. You have to give me a benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I say me. is like, has to be uh, that. But like, as I said, like that was the supporting character. I could have seen, I could easily have seen Sarah win it for Cassidy or Jolene win it for Karen. I think they got stumped in that category, like, easily. Whoa. Okay. Uh, very, 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 very small tidpoint, I want to say. Because when you said Death Stranding, like, a, cu- a couple times in that, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I wonder how that game's doing. Apparently, uh, t- with the Google Stadia shutdown, uh, there was reports that saying Google reportedly canceled a Stadia-exclusive follow-up to Death Stranding. Holy crap, dude. Well, uh, it says you everything that you need to know about Stadia. Yeah. There was going to be a secure blockbuster for sure. Blah, blah, blah. According to 9to5Google, at one point, Hideo Kojima was working on a Stadia-only follow-up to Death Stranding, which debuted in place in 2019. Wow, that sucks. That sucks yeah. well, hard. That tells you why that failed. Yeah. Yeah, Hideo Kojima himself was saying, yeah, we'll make a Stadia exclusive. Wow. Anyways, go for it. Um, <laughs> no, as I said, like the the acting performances, I, I just really enjoyed. Like, 
I still have fond memories. Like, as I said, I don't need to play Life is Strange 2 again until there'll be, there'll be a time where I play it again. But I can already see, like, just mentally my picture of, like, the moment where you're in the in the campsite and you see all the mm-hmm. different characters. You see Hannah, you see Penny, you see Cassidy, you see Finn. They were so cool, man. All those characters were so cool. They're so well written. There was so much purpose with each character. And that was only, like, third episode. But, like, my other argument I say to people is, like, Life is Strange 2 is one of the best stories I ever saw from the series. But because in the sense that the, the main story was always there. Sean, the journey. Sean has to go to Porto Lobos with his brother to get away from a crime that they didn't commit. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, for like because they're being falsely accused of something. But the way it's done is so well. Because, like, even the love interest, you have a love interest option episode three. That gets eliminated after episode three. Like you'll have like tidbits of like little information that like, gets referred to it, whatever else, but it's not the main part of the story. So you lose an interest. Like, I always said that I felt like there could have been a love interest thing with Lila and Sean a bit more. I felt like that could have been something that happened, but yeah. in hindsight, I'm glad that it didn't because it's like, I like the fact that the story constantly remains on the same banging point. It's like we're following Sean and Daniel here. These other things that happen in between it are just story elements that kind of enhance the experience. As I said, with Sean, you see everything through his lens. You see mm-hmm. adversity. You see kind of like a, a hopelessness sometimes. You see, I think there's that kind of scene, is it, where he's outside the um, outside the motel and he's trying to like think that he might have powers, and he reaches out. Yes. And he's like, he's like yeah. trying to like pretend, like he, well, he's trying to like figure out if he has powers, just like Daniel. And there's kind of like this, yeah, quietness of like where he realizes that he doesn't. I think like that, that the way that that is done. Is so enjoyable. Like there's this this constant layers and layers and layers of character development, and that's why I really enjoy Life is Strange too. I do believe, and I think with other people said it as well. I do believe that Square Enix hates Life is Strange too. Like fucking out. Like yeah, that game will never that that game will never get a remaster. It's going to be stuck on the last console. They'll never do it. I don't, I don't think it sold as well as the other Life is Strangers or had the same popularity. So like pretty much Square be- simply it, because it wasn't Max and Chloe. I I. I yeah. firmly believe that it didn't sell well because it wasn't Max and Chloe. And that's the unfortunate yeah. side because it is a great game. Um, it's a fantastic message. Um, but I think a lot of our viewers pa- like panned it. And because it was, wasn't Max and Chloe, I think coming out the gates, it just, it wasn't fair for Luke or Michelle. Um, reviewers and I think expectations set it up for failure. And I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a shame. To, to say the least, it's a, it's a shame that out of the gate it it was doomed to fail. Unfortunately, not their faults, and not their faults. It's just expectations and reviewers are um, awful for the games industry. Yeah, that that was mainly it. It was because they had a banger with the first game, and it was Max and Chloe central to it, and they really went completely different in this direction. And I think like it did hurt mm-hmm. them in the sense that some people weren't going to be willing to accept it. And especially I saw that with Life is Strange too. It wasn't as popular with a lot of people mm-hmm. i i love it i think it's great as i said i, I really enjoyed it but for sure other other people just weren't having it and I, and, I, and i think that that's what hurt it a lot more and i think square enix's rejection of it a little bit square enix didn't really do much to just push it a little bit i felt that a little bit like even now that they barely in, embrace sean and daniel it's like <laughs> you know these characters existed you know that they they were part of the game like you know they were part of the series mm-hmm. I, yeah. think, I think it's one of the best. I think it's one of the best games in the series, if not the best. I think you could make an argument for it be the best. It's become like, my number two favorite. Life is strange for sure. 
it's become really new. Uh, Before the Storm is still my favorite, and I'm not apologizing for that. Um, Because, again, I think I relate a lot to Chloe's story. But yeah, um, Life is Strange BTS 2, is I a think. great game. Yeah, it's great. I love the soundtrack. Yeah. I love the game. Um, I love everything about it. But, yeah, I would say Life is Strange 2 because they went hard in the paint with actual social issues, especially in the country I live in which is an unfortunate state of affairs. Um, you know, they, they went hard to pay with that. And I, and I appreciate them for, for doing that. And it's become, you know, probably my number two favorite Life is Strange game now. Yeah, well, that's where I sit with it. It kind of like interchanges with Life is Strange 1 for me. Like it's, it's constant that then it's, then it's BTS, then it's True Colors. Like that's how I see them in, in my ranking kind of order. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, like I just think that there's there was something with Life is Strange too. Like it could have it could have been more cohesively done. Like the the, the release windows could have been more concise. Yeah. Yeah. So I really get. It. I think like you obviously enjoy it a lot more if you picked up all five episodes afterwards and then kind of constantly go through. Because after that, I remember playing it. I was like, I remember trying to figure out what had like what happened last time. I was like, it's been a while here. It's like you know, it's constantly like you know, it just it just felt like a long period of time between each episode. And that probably came down to development and everything else in between it. But um, I just, I, I just, I just, I, um, I appreciate the cojones to kind of go in a completely bold new direction with it. Because it's like, Max and Chloe would have been great. I think like the, the way that Square Enix should have done it, my timeline should have been that they did three games first, where it was like a prequel to Life is Strange 1, Life is Strange 1, then they did a direct sequel some kind of way. Then they did something like Life is Strange 2. But obviously there's, you know, what happened happened. I think like they wanted to do something different. Uh, don't nod. Um, they didn't see continuation for Max and Chloe's story, which is fair enough. I can kind of see that. But mm. it, it was just the way that Life is Strange 2 was angled. As I said, it was very heavy toned with like its political messaging, its social messaging, etc. It might not have worked well for, for a lot of people. Obviously, 2018 was um, Trump's yeah. uh, arrival on, on that. So it's like, it, it was it was very heavy handed on that. Like for, for some people, maybe it was like, you know, they felt like maybe it was going a bit too much on it, but <laughs> hey ho like you know it was different it was a different time in the world at that point. yeah <laughs> and, sure. and it was you know when, when he was talking about building that wall like you know it, it fair enough like for them to do that as a message in the game like you know that's mm-hmm. fair that's fine but like as i said like i just felt like the going through each episode it was a constant like a nice chop and churn churn with like sean and daniel's story like it was constantly something that would happen unexpected things that would happen I love like just those scenes where Esteban would randomly turn up later on, and it was like he's talking to Sean. I feel like the guidance he gave to it, the kind of like, I just think it was like also do you like in the kind of way that characters compose themselves, like even with Karen, like the complexity mm-hmm. of like that character. She was like, you know, I I, I want to be your mum, but then I don't want to be your mum as well at the same time. I don't yeah. apologize for what I did. But there's a constant like, there's a constant like, a conflict within each character. Like they they're dealing with so much. I think the individuality of like each character like makes them so much more interesting to kind of learn about. Obviously in itself, her being called Karen is a bit different now as well. Like, you know, yeah, for sure. But, but as I said, like, I just felt like that it it, it really did drift away from life is strange one a lot. And I kind of get why some people didn't like it. I I always say it's like people like with life is strange too. Like Cassidy is the one character. I feel like you pluck her out and put into life is strange one and she wouldn't feel out of place. Like she just, she had those kind of like that that essence of a Life is Strange one character, but like I love the the kind of dynamic of building something with her, having some kind of like meaningful relationship with her, or you can have it with Finn if you wanted to. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, love the game, love the game. Oh yeah, no, 
But yeah, no, I have nothing more to say other than like, great job, Michelle. Great job, Luke. Great job, Raul. So <laughs> on to the next, I yes. guess. Yes, we made him a believer. That's the main thing. Um, <laughs> so we will move into our last segment, which is spread the arts. Uh, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, so I've finally been listening to an artist that needs no introduction because if you listen to electronic music, he's pretty popular. But, you know, I just never listened until now. Uh, the artist is called Fred Again. So it's Fred Again dot dots. That, that's his uh, stage name. And I just want to read his Spotify bio, which is just a paragraph, just to get a perspective of if you've never listened to Fred Again, um, here's what he has to say about himself. Fred describes his music as actual life, a trademark sound that features vocals uncovered from the unlikeliest of sources. From obscure YouTube clips to personal FaceTime conversations, random Instagram, uh, random Instagram accounts, and iPhone video footage of half-remembered nights out. The end result, often made on the move wherever Fred has his laptop. A shift between dance floor-inspired euphoria and yearning melancholy, and you'll hear the likes of Blessed Madonna, Mr. Easy, and Heady One among lesser-known voices. So basically, what each of Fred Against Music uh, does, like he has a couple albums out, some singles, he takes samples of real life. Like he has memories of YouTube clips that he put on, uh, video footage from his friends. He uses those samples, and then uses it as music so it's really cool that he's using his memories uh in his music and it's it's really it's unique it's a it's a, it's a fresh take on like what what you can do with music to have your own memory clips and then bring them out in music and it's real it's really awesome um and his albums are titled it, it's just called actual life so actual life, April 14th to December 17th, 2020. And so he's using those clips from April 14th to December 2017 in his album. And then he has another one out called Actual Life 2. So it's it's I don't know, it's a it's a really cool perspective. So uh check it out. Fred again, dot dot. So check him out. Yeah, that's a good shout. Very interesting. Yeah. So I will recommend, because we're coming up to Halloween as well. Oh. I recently got to watch the 2022 Hellraiser film, which is a reboot yeah. of the uh, of the franchise, essentially. Um, a bit different, but I thought I'd put it out as a recommendation. Yeah, it, like, I'm, a, I'm a huge Hellraiser fan. Absolutely huge. Like Most of the films are, are really bad. Um, yeah. Not mainly <laughs> the, first, the first film, the second film, are good, and the third one's it's a guilty pleasure, if anything. And the rest of them are really, <coughs> yeah. The rest of the films are really like bad, pretty much. And, like this is the the longer way kind of like reboot of the franchise. Twenty twenty two, it came out. Um, like in itself, like it's got some pretty big star power with it as well. Like they've got um, the screenplay is written by um, it's co written by David S. Goyer. Like to get someone, yeah, to get someone like art in there. It's it's quite like it's quite a a big kind of acquisition there. Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. Piotrowski? Uh, I think that's, that's who said, but that's, that's the story is based on them. 
Well, no, it's, it's an interesting take. Cause, like this one's the main, the first mainline Hellraiser film. Well, actually, not there's, they've done other ones, but like there's no Doug Bradley, so the iconic Pinhead has been changed. It's actually a woman Pinhead as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely different. Obviously, some people are were a bit against it but like in itself like if you ever read the hellbound heart by clive barker which is what the hellraiser franchise is based on the first hellraiser like pinhead's not necessarily a man yeah. like, by reference like you know even though it's doug bradley in the first hellraiser that's the film that clive Barker made based on his novel pinhead isn't actually a man in the in the in in the hell uh, in the hellbound heart it's kind of like referred to that he is you know well not a man I, I'll, I'll leave it yeah. at that but it was an interesting take. It's kind of had that same, that same kind of like aesthetic change that the Candyman reboot had as well. Modernized, mm. kind of like I didn't really relate to a lot of the characters. I thought some of them were really boring. I think like they still haven't really like that. The, the first Hellraiser, the characters they had in there, Frank, uh, Larry, his brother, like you know, all the variation of characters. They were more interesting in this. <clears throat> this 2022 reboot doesn't really have that. There's kind of like, it feels like a little bit of a, a teen horror film, a little bit with some of the characters, mm-hmm. a bit boring, a bit kind of like generic, a bit kind of like, Damn. you know, whatever. And and I think in itself as well, it strips back some of the Hellraiser elements. Like there's always kind of been that kind of like that, that line drawn between Hellraiser with sex and kind of like BDSM and kind of like the horror kind of elements. This is all influential, influenced, throughout Hellraiser, especially obviously if you look at the first Hellraiser film, like the Cenobites all dressed in black leather, kind of like bondage outfits. Like it's, it's very, yeah. and Clive Barker is a, is, is a truly like, you know, you know, a little bit fucked up in that sense. Like he's, yeah. got, he's got an imaginative mind, but yeah, I, I would recommend you watch it if you were looking for something Halloween based. Like, as I said, this, this is my favorite franchise or my, my favorite horror characters. And I think like, it's an interesting interpretation if you followed Hellraiser as much as I have. Um, not hugely sold on it, but it's kind of it, it, it's it's probably the best Hellraiser film since the early three films, and that's that's not a huge statement of like you know where yeah. the franchise is at. But it's yeah, uh, watch still that worth movie. Watch. watch that one. Do not watch <laughs> Halloween Ends. Just skip that. Oh, movie. you watched it? I did. You See, I didn't Halloween... one before it. I was going to say, did you not like Halloween Kills? You really Evil must die, bro. Evil it's must worse. Die. It's worse than Halloween Kills. So I thought, much worse. I, I left the cinema watching Halloween Kills feeling like it was one of the worst films I've seen in a long time. Like, Times if I, it like, by two. Thing, yeah, I, 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 my, my, my brother's trying to convince me to watch it. And I'm like, I'm not wasting oh. my money at the cinema to watch Halloween Kills after watching Halloween. If you, it Halloween if you have Peacock, it's, it's streaming now on Peacock. So anybody who's listening to this, like if you don't want to spend money on the cinema to go see it, but do you have Peacock already? It's on there, so go ahead. But if you don't have Peacock, don't get Peacock to watch it. But like, if you have it, go for it. Whatever, who cares? Um, but yeah, go watch the Hellraiser, like he said. But um, put it this way: I had more respect for Hocus Pocus two than I did at Halloween Ends. <laughs> like, I might watch that. Halloween Ends. I might try and find. Yeah, as soon as I was streaming service, I might actually watch it now. I, as I said, like yeah. when I watched Halloween Kills, it was so poorly done for me. Like they 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 destroyed my boy Michael. Like they ruined him. Like when he was like slashing people, like doing broad daylight. He's not a slasher anymore. Wait like, the fact- till you see Halloween ends. Wait till you see that. It's so bad. It's awful. 
It hurts it's... me, man. I love horror. Like, 90% of my body is made of horror films. It's like, and horror TV shows and stuff. And it's like... Oh my God, you're not ready. If you think that they ruined Michael Myers in Halloween Kills, you are not ready for Halloween Ends. Let me tell you that much. Jesus Christ. You're not ready, dude. <laughs> I think I think we'll uh, wrap this up here because otherwise I think I'll get a bit more upset with her. Yeah. <laughs> with Hellraiser reboot, like Admin said, I don't want to distract you from his recommendations. Um, definitely check that out. Yeah, I recommend it as a as a watch, not something that I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought it was okay, but <laughs> hey, there's, there's always a cynicism with me. But anyway, uh, yeah, guys, I hope you enjoy watching this episode. As I do apologize again, I felt really. There's probably like a lot of cuts in this episode because I kept jumping to get some tissue paper because I feel horrible. Um, but we have managed to make it to the end of the episode. So um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did enjoy this episode, please do leave a subscribe, like, turn on notifications, share with your friends. It helps you keep up to date with our content. And also Strangecast is available on all podcast services. So you can check us out on there. Stay tuned. Hopefully we have a special guest coming up on this podcast. I bumped my camera. <laughs> what? I bumped my camera. Yeah, was like... <laughs> Uh, we it. have a special guest potentially coming on this episode soon so stay tuned we'll be sharing that if we can get it done and uh, Life After Strange will come back at some point I've always said that but it will come back at some point I'm just a little bit tired um, mm -hmm. but it will come back uh, but yeah anyway and also a big shout out to the person who recommended our channel on Reddit as well Life is Strange Reddit yeah. it was quite nice to see that nice it was really nice it was a nice little endorsement there anyway I hope you enjoyed this episode stay tuned we'll be back soon with another strange cast let's say laugh strange we'll be back soon with another strange cast until then take care bye peace <laughs>